Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. But here's what really boggles me. Let's go back to Friday night. The Mets open up this series against the Philadelphia Phillies. It's Kodai Senga against Taiwan Walker. And right out of the gate, off an off day, the Mets had an off day after losing two out of three to the Houston Astros. They're in Philadelphia. They're well-rested. Huge game. Huge series. They've played so well against the Phillies. Maybe this is the series that'll turn them around. And five pitches in, Brandon Nimmo drops a fly ball in center field. Flat out drops a fly ball in center field. Is that on Buck Showalter? I have no idea. Is that on the coaching staff? I have no idea. It's probably just on Brandon Nimmo. But when you continue to see a team that comes out flat and is always trailing in the first inning, doesn't that reek of a team that's unprepared, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel that way? Look, I know at the end of the day, it's only on Brandon Nimmo for dropping a fly ball. It's only on Brett Beatty for not fielding a ground ball and turning a double player, at least getting it out. But when a team continues to make brutal mistake after brutal mistake after brutal mistake, and a team continues to be trailing immediately into a game, isn't that kind of a sign of a team that's unprepared? So Brandon Nimmo drops a pop-up. If that's not bad enough, what a tone setter for this series. Kyle Schwarber, it's a fly ball to center field, and Brandon Nimmo can't catch the effing ball. Kodai Senga does what he does. He walks a guy. He throws a wild pitch. He's set up in a real tough spot, and he strikes out Nick Castellanos. Here comes ballsy Kodai Senga, and then he gets Bryce Harper to pop up in the infield. How great is this? How great is this? Little pop-up. Little easy pop-up. All set to go. And Tommy Pham and Francisco Lindor have no earthly idea what's happening. Two veteran players have no idea how to communicate on the easiest pop-up to short left field you'll ever see. Let it sink in that that play, that play cost the New York Mets a baseball game. Because it did. I get the offense sucked outside of the Brandon Nimmo home run. So you could put it on the offense. But Kodai Senga pitched a hell of a baseball game and got screwed by his shoddy defense right off the gate. A drop pop-up and then a pop-up that's not called an error, but everybody knows it's a mental error between Francisco Lindor and Tommy Pham. And he fights through it. He gives up the second run on a sacrifice fly. Of course, the Met offense does nothing. And it was a frustrating nothing. Like, there's nothing, and then there's frustrating nothings. They get a leadoff double by Pete Alonso in the second on a ball that I thought was out, and with Vogelbach and Pham and McNeil, they get nothing. Outside of that Nimmo home run in the third inning, the Met offense got absolutely mowed down by Taiwan Walker and Gregory Soto and Jose Alvarado and Craig Kimbrell. And then you've got more bad defense because – how could, how could there not be bad defense? Sixth inning, two on. There's a little pop-up by Brandon Marsh. 
I think that was the one that was the miscommunication, actually. Now that I think about it, I think the miscommunication between Lindor and Pham was actually in the sixth inning, not in the first inning. I think the first inning was just like a bloop single by Bryce Harper, if memory serves correct. I'm sorry. I apologize. I get all my brain-dead baseball confused. I apologize. But Brandon Marsh was the one who hit that little pop-up where Tommy Pham and Francisco Lindor couldn't figure out who the hell was going to catch it. And then Trey Turner with the back-breaking two-run single. Uh, and a game that was close, a game that was 2-1, to one, a game that ah, maybe the Mets could fight back late, turns into an ugly 5-1 to one loss. And it was because of bad defense, because of Brandon Nimmo dropping a pop-up, because of the miscommunication between Pham and Lindor. I think Jeff McNeil made a great play in this game, turning a double play. Good. It's the only good thing Jeff McNeil's done in a month. The guy can't hit. The guy's looking to lay down bunts. The guy can't catch a throw to second base by Brett Beatty in the finale of this series. Just an awful game one loss. But that's what they do. The offense disappears for eight out of nine innings. Their defense sucks. And they give up the back-breaking hit when they can't afford to give up the back-breaking hit. The Trey Turner single off Jeff Brigham. Just an awful game one loss. They do bounce back in game two, and look, we'll, we'll give Max Scherzer credit. Max Scherzer battled. He threw a ton of pitches. He came out to pitch the sixth inning after begging Buck to come out, let him start the sixth, and he did. Got a big double play of Alec Bowman. Pitched a hell of a game. And the Met offense did just enough. Just enough. Starling Marte hit a home run. They get another big hit by Tommy Pham. And the Mets win a baseball game. <laughs> Great. Sometimes the wins are just setups for the brutal losses. The wins are just a setup for the absolute kick in the balls. And let me get to Jeff McNeil, because Jeff McNeil has almost escaped some of the criticism. His batting average is sinking like a stone. He took a meek 0 for 3 on Friday. He didn't play Saturday because he had some kind of wrist issue. He goes 0 for 4 on Sunday, including dropping that ball from Beatty. But McNeil did something in this game that showed me Boy, he has zero faith in himself. In the seventh inning of the finale of this series, the Mets had just scored a run on the Alonzo home run. They've opened up a 6-3 lead. They have first and second, nobody out, and Jeff McNeil is up. And Jeff McNeil twice tried to lay down a bunt. Was that a good baseball play? I'll tell you why, to me, it's not a good baseball play. It's not a good baseball play because you've got the bottom of the order coming up. You're facing a tough lefty and Jose Alvarado, but the guy on deck is a rookie left-handed hitter in Brett Beatty. Now, Beatty has had a good offensive game so far, but still, are you really giving it out away to then hand the at-bat to Brett Beatty, a rookie left-handed hitter who's hitting about 240? And then after that, is your left-handed catcher? Now, he would be a pinch hit for but he's getting pinch hit for a guy who's in a four for 33 slump. So when you think about it that way, yeah, you're advancing guys and you're setting up second and third one out, but are you really doing it for your better hitters? Are you really doing it in an ideal situation? You're doing it for two left-handed hitters. And it shows you, I think, where McNeil's confidence is. If Jeff McNeil is playing like last year, if he's batting title McNeil, is he giving up an out? to set up second and third one out for the eighth and ninth hitters? No way. So instead, after striking out twice earlier in this game against Zach Wheeler, Jeff McNeil is laying down a bunt. And while he got the job done and he advanced the runners, 
like I said earlier, he set up second and third one out for a rookie left-hand hitter, Brett Beatty, who looked completely overmatched and struck out. And for Omar Narvaez, who got pinch hit for by Francisco Alvarez, who's in a four for 33 slump. So Jeff McNeil not only went 0 for 7 in this series and played crappy defense, he also gave himself up in the seventh inning and admitted to the world, I don't have any confidence, so I'm going to give myself up and just hand it over to the eighth and ninth hitters. I am generally not an anti-bunt kind of guy. Sometimes I like a good sacrifice bunt, but I think it showed a lot about McNeil's lack of confidence right now. And that's a problem. There are a lot of things wrong with this team. By no means is Jeff McNeil issue number one. But Jeff McNeil's batting average is dipping very, very low. And he's starting to look like 2021 Jeff McNeil. And that's scary. And that's right off giving him that big contract extension. And now I don't give a rat's ass if Lindor gives him a car or not. The hell does he deserve a car in his 258 batting average and his 690 OPS? He's been terrible. We have to call it like it is. Guy's had an awful year. Lindor and Alonzo, on the other hand, they both hit home runs. Pete's got 24. He now has 56 RBIs. So Alonzo, despite missing that week and a half, is on pace for a 51-20 season, which is absurd. Lindor hit a home run. He's on pace for a 3,100 season, despite the low batting average and the low OPS. So the New York Mets are swooning in June. They have not won a series in what feels like forever. They have now dropped seven games under 500. They are burying themselves day by day by day. Forget the division in the National League wildcard race. And all we can do is scream, yell, and complain (laughs) and demand people be fired. Now, they did trade Eduardo Escobar in the middle of this week. They did that, I think it was on Friday night during the Apple TV game. All of a sudden, Wayne Randazzo told us Eduardo Escobar was trading. I'll give you some quick thoughts on the trade, and then we'll go through the emails as it was happening during the Met meltdown and more thoughts as we move ahead. But they trade Escobar to the Angels. They get back Coleman Crow, a 22-year-old pitching prospect, and Landon Marceau, I think is how you pronounce it, a 23-year-old pitching prospect. Neither of these guys will help the team now. I have no idea if neither of these guys or either of these guys are going to be big contributors ever for this team. I know Landon Marneau had bad numbers at Double uh, A, had a four eight eight ERA at Double A, and has already made his Met debut and has struggled. So I think it's one of those projects. We'll see if they can turn him around and he can kind of develop. He's only twenty three years old. Coleman Crow had four really good starts at Double A, but has been on the injured list since April. And he's only 22 years old. So I I think without knowing if Crow or Marceau are going to be anything, it's a positive only because Escobar really had no role on this team. And the fact that Cohen paid for his salary to increase the kind of prospect return they would get is a really good sign because that's going to probably have to be how the Mets get any prospects before the trade deadline because they are appearing like sellers. I mean, that's just... Let's all have that car. I mean, I know a lot can change. And I said that to you four days ago, Pete, but we are well on the monorail to selling. Okay. We're going really fast towards that area. But, but think about this is this is what pisses me off. Like, so you trade Escobar. That's fine. You pay some his salary. That's fine. 
You get two prospects that back, I guess. That's fine. One of them's injured. So the other guy is kind of crappy already, as we said. Okay, fine. So then who do you call up? Danny freaking Mendick. I mean, the pulse of this team, the pulse of the, the, the people making the decisions on this team, so wrong. Why do you need two guys like Luis Guillorme? You don't. You have young kids that are that are. Vientos went back down to AAA and he's hitting again. Like you're telling me, you can't bring up a better guy than Danny Mendick because they're telling us that Mark Vientos won't play. That's what they're telling us. That's why Danny Mendick came up. Danny Mendick came up because he's a utility player, like you said, similar to Luis Guillorme. And Buck Showalter has zero interest in playing Mark Vientos. And right now, where would he play him? I mean, Tommy Pham has deserved to play. I don't think we're at the point of the season where you just only play young guys. We'll we'll get there soon when the season's over, over. Right now, it's over. We're not at over, over. We'll get there soon enough. I think at that point is when you probably trade a guy like Tommy Pham so he's not even on the roster and you only play young guys. But the reason they called up Mendick when they traded Escobar was that exact reason. That, okay, they'll call up Vientos, and then what are they going to do, Pete? They're going to do the same thing they did for a month. He'll never be in the lineup, and all we'll do is complain about it. And he won't have a chance to get better because he's never playing. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. But, I mean, again, you have Mauricio that's an option too. You have other guys that are options over some of the players that you're using right now. And, again, the, the veterans are have not been flawless. I'm sorry. Mark Hanna is not looking great out there anymore. I mean, we need to say oh. goodbye to him too. There's a lot of people. And, and real quick too, how about trade for someone with an arm that you could use now? Because the bullpen is crap. Yeah. Well, I think with the Escobar trade, that was probably as much as they're going to get. I mean, we're talking about a guy on the final year of his deal, a guy who's had a bad year this year, who did not have a great year last year until September. And considering the Mets paid down everything, and the Angels were a, I don't want to call them a desperate team, but clearly they were looking to upgrade at third base with the injuries that they've had. And they traded for two third basemen within two days of each other, Escobar and Mustakas. It's probably the most they could get. I don't think they were getting anything more for Eduardo Escobar. But I think once August 1st rolls around, assuming this season continues in the horrific direction it's going in, Mauricio and Vientos are going to be up here playing every day. I mean, we're not we're not going to see veterans playing. Uh, but that that's where we're headed. Now, they're not going to do that now on June 26th, even though it feels that way. But that's the monorail trip we're on our way towards. And let me get to some of your emails I hear, and of course, you can email us to ricob at gmail.com. ST writes, and this is from Sam, Sam from Dubai is ST. Sam from Dubai. How about that? Hey, guys, I'm writing this in the bottom of the third inning. The game is now tied at two. A loss is a sure thing today. <laughs> Did you guys notice how Starling Marte gave up on the play after he missed the catch on the Sosa triple? Gary said it looked like Marte was disoriented. He didn't, his head, he didn't hit his head against the wall. There's no way he got disoriented. He just gave up on the play. I think this play clearly shows this team doesn't care anymore. So that was in the bottom of the third inning. Edmundo Sosa hit a fly ball to right field. And I think this fits in the bad defense column. It won't go down as an error, but it's a play Marte should make, I think. And it's a play he makes last year. It's a fly ball to deep right field. He gets confused. He's on the warning track. He jumps. He misses it. And it took him forever to then get the baseball back in. I thought it was going to be an inside the park home run. Nobody was backing him up. And it led to a leadoff triple. And of course, the Phillies would eventually score that run on an RBI single by Trey Turner. Uh, I don't know if he gave up on the play. 
but I thought it was a bad defensive play. I think it was a play that he probably should make. And there was no one backing him up, which probably was because Nimmo was too far over, would be my assumption that Nimmo was probably covering Sosa or playing a more shaded a little bit more towards left. So there probably wasn't enough time for him to get back. But yeah, I'll tell you this, watching this live, Mets are up two to one at the time. That was the run that tied the game up. That was another one of those plays that I agree with Sam. It made me think we're losing this game because <laughs> they give Carrasco the lead on a huge hit by Pete Alonso. And this triple was the second pitch of the third inning. It's like, here's the lead, Carlos. All right, I'm going to immediately give it back. Ben Guerrero writes, I just discovered your podcast earlier this season, and I really enjoy listening to it. I agree with most about what you say about the team so far. I'm a longtime Met fan. and It has been a very disappointing season so far when expectations were so high. I had two observations through the third inning. If you're going to put Vogel back in the lineup, why is he batting fifth? He should be batting eighth at best. Pham, Beatty, and McNeil are all better hitters. Is Vogel's Buck illegitimate son? I don't know how else, how else to explain Buck's obsession with Vogel. Uh, let me just respond to that. Vogel back, despite a very off game on Sunday, he was 0 for 3 with two strikeouts, has been a little bit better. And he wasn't great in this series. He took an 0 for on Friday, but he actually was starting to come out of his shell. My big issue with, with Vogel back batting fifth is that that's a spot in the order you're likely going to pinch it for. And so you got to keep that in mind that the guy protecting Alonzo to start the game may not be the guy protecting Alonzo later in the game. And in this case, it was Mark Hanna. And by the way, that does remind me of something. I want to go back to Friday night. Thank you. And I, I'll finish the rest of your email, uh, Ben. I promise you. But you just hit something with me. Friday night, the Mets are facing Jose Alvarado in the, no, no, Gregory Soto in the seventh inning. Left-handed pitcher. The Mets are now trailing in this game by a score of 5-1. to one. Daniel Vogelback leads off the seventh inning against Gregory Soto. You've got your full bench. You've got Marcana. Actually, you only have Marcana. I, I should be fair about this. You only have Marcana because Eduardo Escobar was traded. So your one right-handed bat is Marcana. You got one bullet. He lets Vogelback hit. Even though Vogelback is the most automatic out against left-handed pitching you'll ever see. Trust me, look it up. If I'm not mistaken, I think he's like a 130 hitter against lefties. Abysmal. See, let's Vogelback face Soto. Strikes out on three pitches. Has no shot. No surprise. In the eighth inning, Rob Thompson goes to another lefty, Jose Alvarado. With one out of nobody on, Brett Beatty is due up. He pinches for Beatty with Marcana. So let me get this straight. You got one right-handed bullet off the bench. You've got Vogelback and you've got Beatty as your left-handed hitters, who I guess are candidates to be pinch hit for. You don't pinch hit for Vogelback, who has, I mean, I don't know if he's ever gotten a career hit against the lefty. He's that bad against lefties that he is, he, he may never have a career hit. I'm exaggerating, but you get my point. But you pinch hit for Beatty? who's actually got, I think, a higher batting average against lefties than righties this season? Like, how did that make any sense? 5-1 game, Apple TV+, Plus. 98% of the audience probably wasn't watching at that point. But, Buck, you're not getting away with this from me. Because I was a sucker watching Apple TV on Friday. I got a ton of issues with Apple TV. Don't get me started on that. 
I'll save that for later. But how the hell do you pinch hit for Beatty and not Vogelback? Anyhow, let me finish this guy's email. Is Go ahead. Real, you have something to say, real, Pete? Yeah, because is this analytics getting the best of Buck and the Mets, or is Buck just being too stubborn and not allowing no, no. his better player to hit? What analytic would tell you Vogelback <laughs> should face a lefty? It's not analytics. <laughs> the analytics would tell you to get his fat ass on the bench against the lefty. That's not analytics. I mean, trust me, there's no number. And I, and I defy anybody. You go look it up and try to find me. Find me a number that says Daniel Vogelback facing Gregory Soto is better than Mark Hanna. Or Mark Hanna pinch hitting for Beatty. I, I forget it. Wait, wait, you know what I mean. Like, why? No, analytics. There's no analytic. Anyhow, Ben goes on to say, my second observation is Marte running around in circles after he couldn't catch the fly ball near the fence. Did he just expect Nimmo to come all the way over from center field to pick up the ball? Hey, Marte, if you miss the catch, go after the effing ball and throw it to McNeil. Instead, he runs around like he's drunk with no urgency to get the ball into the infield. This help explains why the Mets are not a good team right now. So look at that. Back-to-back emails, Pete, within uh, about 20 minutes of each other, complaining about the same thing. Starling Marte trying to catch a fly ball in right field. And this is before the eighth inning. Well before the eighth inning. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. 